The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, July 25th, and today is National Hot Fudge Sunday Day. It's also National Wine and Cheese Day, so bust out your charcuterie board, Gretchen. And it is also National Merry-Go-Round Day because that's what people in D.C. do. They hop on the merry-go-round and they just go round and round and round on all the talking points. It's also National Thread the Needle Day and National Hire a Veteran Day. Oh, yeah. And, of course, we do want to wish a very, very, very happy birthday to Saman's son, his birthday is today. He's his very first birthday. It is Sage's number one birthday today. Oh, 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 yeah. And thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Twitter spaces. Oh, yeah. And, uh... <coughs> If you want to also participate in the show you can also join in on twitter spaces and raise your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented so kicking it off we have the dope dad himself that's right it's rico lamit the professional flip-flopper and word on the streets is he's been practicing the hacky sack kicking shit around all around town that's right it is the dope dad himself rico lamit I got my uh, headphones finally working again. You guys hear me okay? Sure. You're all good. <laughs> I think I'm good to go. All right, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about social equity uh, today. And um, as it is a another day, another major market's social equity program is failing to follow through on their funding promises. Is the well of support for the industry's favorite performative social justice campaign finally running dry? Let's discuss. Last August, the Massachusetts state legislature passed a bill to create a new fund promising millions of dollars to equity-owned operators. We're six days away from this August, and not one red cent of the fund's been granted, and it remains empty. Is anyone surprised here? 
I'm not. The Cannabis Social Equity Trust Fund was created last year by Massachusetts Chapter 180 and was supposed to take 15% of state cannabis sales revenue and repurpose those dollars for the support of social equity and economic empowerment businesses. Two license uh, types that were earmarked by the state for entrepreneurs coming from marginalized groups or harmed by the war on drugs. However, released preliminary minutes from this June's meeting of Massachusetts Cannabis Social Equity Advisory Board reveal there is no money in said fund. So where is it? You see, what had happened was uh, the way our state's bank accounts are set up. uh, Seriously, that's what they might as well have said. The problem, according to state officials, is with the way the law is written. Revenue from adult use cannabis sales is deposited into Marijuana Regulation Fund. Uh, The 15% earmarked for social equity cannot be transferred from the Marijuana Regulation Fund until all of the money is transferred to the state consolidated net surplus account. Totally separate. Um, Officials from the Office for for Administration of Finance told the Boston Business Journals that they are working to find an interim solution to allow funds to be transferred this year before the consolidated net surplus transfer. Uh, The stopgap solution, in theory, could make two to four million available after the expected signing of a closeout supplemental budget by Governor Maura Healey this fall. A year late, four million dollars short. Predictably, local operators qualified to benefit from the fund are pissed off. Per the article, social equity cannabis business owners have sent a petition to the state asking that their businesses take priority when the money is distributed, saying that they have been waiting the longest and are in dire need. Now, look, I get all kinds of hate when I make comments like this from my social equity people. I got nothing but love for, you know, um, but the shit's getting ridiculous. Government has never run us the checks they've owed for our communities, not on a federal level, state level, or a local level. If a dollar is owed, we're lucky if we get 10 cents of that shit decades late, interest-free. I remain a firm supporter of the original philosophies that were established as pillars for the social equity uh, movement in cannabis. There's got to be a point where you shift the conversation to reparations. Yes, reparations, Jason and Gretchen, reparations. In Massachusetts alone, even though Cureleaf's headquartered in in MA, um, I couldn't find one single list with their name as as one of the top, as the state's top uh, 10 operators. Um, Ascend Wellness, Tilt Holdings, and Agrify, however, seem to own the top three uh, slots unanimously. With Weedmap's report uh, from the beginning of this year revealing MSOs as now national and local leaders in the entire social equity narrative. Y'all really think Ascend, Agrify, and Tilt, three publicly traded companies, really care about righting the past wrongs done onto us? Think about it. It's time to start calling this shit exactly what it is, a distraction. New York and Massachusetts operators are just the latest two states to fall victim to state legislators over-promising and under-delivering under-deliver, uh, on social equity. Times are tough for everyone right now, not just disadvantaged communities. Social equity and cannabis still lacks unified messaging outlining its pillars. I still haven't seen one definition that everybody that can agree on, whether it's state to state, region to region, hell, even municipality to municipality, um, as to what social equity actually means. I fully expect to see more reports like this from major markets and minor markets 
um, showing that, oh, we just don't have money. Or, you know, the way the, the fund's supposed to be over here, give us get these dollars over here. Like, nah, man, um, I just don't see it happening. Unless there is a national mandate on a federal level setting the rules and regulation as to what social equity uh, will legally be defined as. Just ask the MSOs what they think. I'm Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street. Interesting hearing what the rest of the team has to say about this one. So what would you like to have happen? Reparations. <laughs> so define that, though. Define it bigger. You yeah. Know? Uh, you can actually, there is actually formula, uh, uh, formulas tied to what reparations can and should be. You can do DNA tests as to what it can and be. Uh, there's a lot less very uh, variance of uh, uh, what reparations can and should be than there is with social equity. Social equity, like question, Rico. Question: Are you looking for reparations for slavery or for the war on drugs? Slavery, not on war on drugs. Because war on drugs has way too has way too many variants of who was affected, how they were affected, and um, it, it's it's not tied directly to the black community. If you're if if you're saying like, oh yeah, social equity is the the closest thing to reparations that we can get, that's bullshit. 100% bullshit, <laughs> not reparations. And you can't just say like, oh yeah, like I, I've been discriminated against like my entire life or my community has been. Now give me a business license and I've never gone to business school. I've, I've never run a business legally in my life and expect, and expect me to be successful. Well, well you know I can, I'm gonna say the one thing that nobody here wants to say, cause that's what I love to do. Uh, Nobody cares, and I'm, and I'm including minority cannabis operators. Nobody cares about social equity. They don't. They don't. If they did, they will put some effort behind it and some money behind it, which they don't. The operators are capitalists. They want to make money, and so yep. if they are already operating, they aren't going back to right the wrongs and to help the people who want to come up behind them to get a license. Ain't gonna happen. And frankly, relying on old white men in uh, state capitals to fix your fix the issues from racism, from slavery. Good luck with that. Yes, I just I just gotta jump in, right? Because I can't wait. This, yeah, this here we go. Vein, this is a deep vein for me as a verified social equity applicant myself. Might not look like what somebody might think the face of social equity looks like. Um, there's a reason why social equity wasn't defined as black, and that was because we saw the rollback from affirmative action based on race-based programs, and we've seen that more further in this recent Supreme Court. And so there's no denying that prohibition disproportionately impacted communities that were black and brown. The question is, how do we write policy that's defensible if and when somebody tries to litigate against it or unwind it later in the courts? And so... I, I I love to disagree with my cohorts here. I think people do care about social equity. I think where they get bogged down is the complexity of programs that are fair uh, and that are effective. Um, we've seen this time and time again, where lofty propositions are made without a funding mechanism. And as our you know our founding father here, Senor Beck, can tell us. You know, any policy proposal without a funding mechanism is just a massive circle jerk at best, right? And so we've seen this time and time again. Oh, we want to do these great things. Great. Where's the money going to come from? And then it's crickets. We mm -hmm. saw what happened in New York where they proposed $150 million. And then 
they they didn't have the bag. They had to figure it out. And eventually, Chicago Atlanta came in, provided that that line of credit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, the thing is, is that <clears throat> well, while we can say that white men in a Capitol building don't care or that they're not going to solve our problems, we can't really look back on the history of most industries without seeing direct financial government support. If I was a grain farmer growing corn in Iowa, I have some government support. If I'm a fisherman catching salmon off the coast of California and we have a bad year, I have some government support. So this notion that private enterprise should somehow be independent or self-sufficient or stand on its own two legs just isn't what we see in most in most industries, especially as those in industries are nascent and then maturing. So. It, it, is is government giving money a good idea? It's about all they know how to do without messing things up. So I mean, I you gotta you gotta be careful what Hold you on. wish for there, Yaro. If the government gets involved with giving us money, then we're gonna be like the farm industry in the seventies, where we we get subsidized by the U.S. government. Then they tell us what to grow. Then we have GMO crops that we have to grow because it's more profitable and it's and it's easier to grow because we can use the glyphosate to kill the weeds. It's the same model. And and the reason and like what you're saying is is true but it's also like the trap it's the trap mm -hmm. door it's what it's what gets uh, everyone in american industry in in hot water um if you get money if you say hey we need money you're putting us in a position where you're you're giving us the opportunity but you you don't have a pathway for us that's bricked out for us to get to get to like the gold um to, to get to the pot of gold you're you're literally just allowing them to come in here and you know demolish what we're trying to create and i think it's like i think it's the wrong way to look at it i don't want any money from any government organization to support cannabis at all because then we are beholden to those um to those funders so regulated we became beholden as a recipient of over a quarter million dollars in grant funding that got spent again in my community on office equipment and general contractors and f acted as an economic revitalization agent i'm not mad at them for that i'm mad at them for everything else they did but i'm not mad at the quarter million that's not just that's so, but that's not just social equity that's everybody everyone that has to oh, that go to the planning equity. department but social but everybody that has to everybody has to go to a planning department to put in a plan like a like to have a, a certificate um a cup um conditional use permit you have to build sidewalks you have to do you have to beautify their area listen i've i've had to do it in the most industrial areas where there was nobody ever gonna walk there but they wanted a sidewalk i get it i'm just saying that's the problem is like you know they use the pejorative nature of cannabis to then tax you even more and hit you over the head harder let's just call let's just call it what it is it's called socialist equity and we're gonna go to a commercial and we'll be right back How's it going guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Great name, bro. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. Think good. Great minds think alike. Great minds think alike. There you are. No. Well, we wanted to keep our children's names botanical and fish emulsion just didn't roll off the, the hey guys, oh live, boy live oh boy show. all right <laughs> yeah keep keep your back end conversation in the green room <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, uh seriously uh, up next his name is um jason beck and he's a uh, firm supporter of donald trump coming up on his oh own, yeah uh, 
fourth indictment. Stop and, uh, it. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk about that. Fourth mistrial. He wants to talk about being the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer, the chief when it comes to cannabis uh, 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 tourism in West Hollywood. And then also down in Mar-a-Lago, he is a um, just might be asking for immunity soon because I think that he flipped. Y'all know He's so is. stupid. Back. You're so, so, so silly, Rico. You know, ain't no flipping over here other than things I'm making flip. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you what, who's not really happy today is some hemp businesses or is they're suing Maryland for monopolizing the adult use licensing process. That's right. As Maryland's adult use cannabis industry goes from budding to booming, a group of hemp industry leaders has banded together to sue the state and cannabis regulators over a licensing process they claim is discriminatory and being monopolized. The Maryland Hemp Coalition, along with several hemp farmers and business owners, filed the lawsuit against Governor Wes Moore, the Maryland Cannabis Administration, and the Maryland Alcohol, Tobacco, and Cannabis Commission Monday in Circuit Court excuse me, in Washington County. In a quote, my clients who have been lawfully selling these products for years are suddenly in a position where they are being told they can't sell their products without a license. And yet the obstacles, the obstacles to get a license are nearly insurmountable, said Nevin Young, an attorney representing the hemp industry in the lawsuit. During the latest legislative session, lawmakers worked a worked to stand up framework for adult use cannabis in Maryland. Included in the new framework is language to cap the level of THC hemp derived products that could be sold with with a adult use cannabis license, as well as details surrounding the licensing process. <coughs> Attempts during the legislative session were also made to create a carve out for the hemp industry to allow businesses to continue selling their products. Another amendment floated during session included creating new testing and regulations for hemp products. Both plans failed to be included in the final law passed by lawmakers. Without an adult use cannabis license, hemp business owners were forced to close their doors on July 1st. Derek Sproul, founder and owner of Cherry Blossom Hemp, said many in the hemp industry have been pushing for regulations to standardize the hemp industry, but those efforts failed to blame failed to become reality. Regu regulate us, bring us into the fold, Spiral said. I'm not ready to give up just because of this, he says. The current licensing process in Maryland is a lottery round. One applicant must qualify as a social equity applicant, which according to the state is defined by as an applicant with at least 65% ownership control held by at least one person who uh, has lived in a disproportional, Im a disproportional impacted area for at least five years of the last decade or attended a public school in a disproportionately impacted area for at least five years or attended for at least two, two years a four-year higher education institution in Maryland where at least 40% of the people attending the institution are eligible for a Pell Grant. That's their definitions. Maryland defines defines an area of, as disproportionately impacted by an area that has above 150% of the state's 10-year average for cannabis possession charges. A map of the zip codes that qualify has yet to be provided by the state, and Spiro previously told Fox 45 News that he wouldn't be able to stay afloat 
while he applied for a adult use license, especially without a guarantee he would get one. In a quote, what business do you know can close till can close in July 1st with three months notice? Spurl said, what they are asking for are the most are, are for most people's is impossible. It's almost like a spit in the face, he says. The licensing process violates Maryland's anti-monopoly laws by creating a monopoly on licenses to sell cannabis-related products in the state of Maryland, Young said in an interview about the lawsuit. And the lawsuit alleges that that they also violated the Equal Protection Act in Maryland by inventing certain certain categories of persons who will only be eligible to submit applications for the first round of licenses, Young continued. Levi Sellers, owner of South Mountain uh, Micro Farm, is also named as a plaintiff in the lawsuit. Fox 45 previously spoke with Sellers about the future of his hemp farm before the law passed the General Assembly and before Governor Moore signed the plan into law. We, in a quote, we see the small business and hemp industry stakeholders they got left behind during the legislative session, Sellers said. We are investigating options to move our facilities out of state to move as well as could potentially lose the whole farm in the process, they say. In addition to the Maryland Hemp Coalition and South Mountain uh, Micro Farm, Derek Spurl and Cherry Blossom Hemp are part of the lawsuit along with Cannonball Dispensary, Christopher Guy Cannon, and Vicki Orem and a Healing Leaf LLC. Young said, while the lawsuit plays out in court, which is expected to be a lengthy process, he's seeking a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction to stop the state from enforcing the ban on hemp-derived products. A hearing date has not been scheduled for the case, and in a quote, they know that they um, that when the state grants monopolies, it's in violation to grift favoritism. It eliminates competition, it raises prices, and it limits consumer choice, Young said. As soon as a lot of money is on the table, a lot of our elected officials seem to forget about those basic principles. Governor Moore's office did not respond to a request for comment regarding the lawsuit, but something interesting, there is a video that they have in this, and I did find it kind of interesting because in the video, they're actually using a lot of footage that is actually from my store in West Hollywood from back in the day, which I found very, very amusing. And so uh, I don't know if you can play some of this, Adam, um, but I would I would throw it on mute just so we don't have to hear it. They're just going to repeat the story. Um, stock video? You, you, you represent in stock video? You get residuals for that, man? Man, I should, I should be getting paid. I should I should definitely reach out to them and let them know that they need to, uh, need to break me off a little something, something. That's, that why is, you're, uh, that's why you're on strike right now, right? Well, no, that's the writers, bro. I'm not a writer. <laughs> and I don't, I don't believe in strikes like that. I believe that's in sad. getting shit done. Let's see. Where, or an actor, though. And actors are on strike also. Yeah. I think the actors are only on strike because the writers are on strike, though. I think they're just doing it because oh, of them. Yeah, but either way, Jason is talking about not supporting organized labor because, you yeah. know, we don't yeah. need to support people who are getting the short end of the stick or uh, not compensated proportional to their contributions. That's All right, let's care about the story. All right, move on from Jason Beck. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, you guys are silly. You guys are silly, silly, silly. I mean, what do you guys think about this? These, these hemp guys saying, hey, we're out of business because of the, because of the laws in Maryland with, with adult use. I mean, I, I, I feel like a lot of this was ultimately inevitable, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened in more jurisdictions, to be perfectly honest with you. 
Why do you say that? Why? Because a lot of yeah. these people are just operating by skirting rules on what's what's really going on. They're not skirting rules by selling hemp. They're skirting rules. They're, they're, I mean, using they're the selling Delta Eight and all this all this booth products. It's skirting. Well, because I think the intention of the bill compared with the letters of it, when we have age restricted, when we have products that should be age restricted, that include psychoactive uh, hemp derived cannabinoids and children can buy them at a gas station. That's a problem. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know exactly I'm in the regulated cannabis space. And I don't feel entirely sympathetic to people who have less laws, less regulations, less restrictions on trade. And they're saying, well, I'm going to move my business to another state. That isn't that the equivalent of I'm going to take my ball and go home. Like, well, it, it, in essence, I'd be, they'd be taking their ball and going to a new field. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that would, that, that, that would be more the case right there. Yarrow. I mean, um, I I'm no attorney, but I think these guys have a case, frankly. I don't yeah. think that Maryland should be able to just shut them down for because they are operate. It's not their fault that the feds created such a gray area when it comes to uh, the product McConnell. that they're operating in. It's McConnell's fault. I, I would like to just point out that, like, how, how well does this go when people go to court and they say, this is how I interpret the laws yeah. that you put uh, put onto us. Um, that's never the case. They're going to say in court, they're going to say, well, we're sorry that you thought that this is what it actually meant. You you go straight to jail. Mm -hmm. uh, and don't go like $200. Go straight to jail. <laughs> this is not straight to jail. This is a difference between a federal law and a state law. So that's what it was just debating that, that was just a, and, that was that was a that was a meme I was just trying to And this is this is this is this is a state law. This is a state law, Gretchen. For the bigger movement. I understand it's a state law. Okay. Jessica. All right, perfect. I'm, but, I'm but, saying, but Gretchen, the real but, problem, the real problem is you have you have this entirely like egregious kind of um, you know, system that's that's designed for us thc delta nine people that want to grow cannabis with thc in it and then there's this entirely different set of rules for the people that are growing cannabis with uh with cbd in it so it's like if you're if you're able to you know come in way under the bar uh you know the financial level that we have to kind of presume to be in the cannabis side of things the thc side of things is way higher it's just that simple and it's like you can't have a state that has both of these industries kind of parallel to each other and one of them able to, you know, get away with doing the same work with, uh, you know, fraction of, of the fees and the taxes and everything like that. So I just it's like it's just dumb. It's again, it's just another reason why government should have, you know, really rolled this out in a different way or they should really, you know, uh, you know, like, you know, adequately um, incorporate these things into one singular kind of uh, law and one bill that kind of takes care of hemp and cannabis all together. But that's just my opinion. So, you know. Well, and I would also no. go back to the point to take it up with the federal government. And frankly, we all know federal law trumps state law. So these guys have a case. Not when there's local control involved, Gretchen. Bullshit. And the local no, local local control trumps trumps Bullshit. all of that. Local control trumps all of that. You're, oh, in your sweet little Trump mind. It's just, no, just that's reality. not how it works. Federal law. Just is reality. Trump. There's tons of states that that okay. that, that you can't sell That's why hemp cannabis into. is running legal everywhere because of all these state laws, all these local laws that are Trump and federal law. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can mm -hmm. go home. I can stop working. You got it all figured out. I got always. I've always had it all figured out, Gretchen. All day. Well, I thought yeah, you yeah. already knew that. I'll, you you. Oh my God! You're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, right. it's different in uh, Nevada too. Wrong. There's literally no rules for hemp farmers. Exactly. To, 
there's literally no rules. Exactly. Right? And, uh, you know, the cannabis industry is, well, the rules have rules. So they should have to follow the same cannabis rules, in my opinion. Nothing is mandatory tested. Nothing yep. is... Uh, no standardization. It's no standardization of anything. And mm -hmm. uh, it should be standard across the industry. Exactly. So prevent these guys from converting you know, their CBD into the Delta 8 bullshit, right? And mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they have to follow the rules and get the way we get scrutinized, uh, everything changes. Exactly. Yep. And Gretchen, exactly if right. you really knew oh what, what it took for them to turn CBD into Delta 9 THC, you would like, you would def definitely be on the other side of this argument. I have, I'm not, you know. I, no, 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 no. I have no, no problem, problem suggesting that these people should have to follow the same rules and standards. What I have an issue with is y'all's misunderstanding of the law and how it works. That's what I got an issue with. There is a legal argument to be held here. Yet, just because there's a woulda, shoulda, coulda, this is how it should be. That's not how it is. There's yeah, a thing not, called the I mean, 2018 Farm Bill that lays out the hemp laws, and they should not have separated hemp from cannabis five years well, there's, ago. But there's new guidance but that's on, the it on the conversions. But there's new guidance on the conversions. And, they and, they walk that back. That is the feds for recently a walked that back. Court to decide oh, ultimately boy. no and here's the reason why if it's silent on the federal level and local control or states or municipalities are seeking to fill the policy gap that was created by the 2018 bill farm bill then more power to them i mean the notion that psychoactive cannabinoids would be available unage restricted because they came out of hemp instead of cannabis which exactly. hemp is just cannabis without a fence okay and so the gray area isn't the law it's my fucking temples as a parent freaking out about this idea that products that should be age restricted aren't and that really they're doing the entire plant based industry a disservice by taking massive advantage of those gaps in the law and do i like the laws do i think they're well thought out no but do i think there's a problem in what wasn't articulated yes am i going to hate on local people uh regulators and municipalities for trying to fill that gap no because i think they're trying to solve a problem and with that, we got to keep it moving because we got to get into our feisty redheaded conservative Gretchen Gailey, who is definitely looks like she got some spice cooking up today. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies. It is none other than the Gretchen Gailey. Yeah, yeah. Well, frankly, I, I have zero steam for this story. And frankly, this story kind of deserves zero steam. But what the hell? Uh, Republican presidential candidate Francis Suarez says feds must catch up on marijuana despite mixed record as Miami mayor. Uh, just a little context going into this story. He has he's ranked at zero percent in Republican primary polls. So the likelihood that what this man says ever matters is quite low. But what the hey? Republican 2024 presidential candidate Francis Suarez says federal cannabis policy needs to catch up with states that have enacted legalization, citing safety concerns related to the ongoing barriers to banking services in the industry. As Miami's mayor, however, the GOP contender enters the national stage with a mixed record on cannabis issues locally. Federal policy on cannabis needs to catch up with the will of the American people and the 40 states which have legalized medical and or adult use. Suarez wrote in a Twitter post on Saturday. If congressional leaders can't find a responsible path to ending prohibition, deferring to state policy for regulating cannabis is the best solution. 
Current federal policy poses a serious risk to public safety, as most state legal cannabis businesses are prohibited from accessing the banking system and must operate in cash. This endangers the lives of many industry workers and increases violent crime in our communities. The position from the mayor of Florida's second most populous city, which comes as activists work to secure placement for a marijuana legalization initiative on next year's statewide ballot, stands in contrast to all of the other major Republican presidential candidates to date, none of whom have suggested that they would proactively move to end federal cannabis prohibition as Suarez is doing. That said, Suarez's comments have elicited some criticism from Floridians who say that they were blocked from attaining medical cannabis licenses in Miami under the mayor's administration. The city had argued amid years of litigation that ongoing federal prohibition takes precedent over the state's medical marijuana program. The blockade finally lifted in 2022 after a federal judge sided with medical cannabis dispensary license applicants who had sued the city the prior year, denying the local officials' request to have the lawsuit heard in federal court, ruling that it would be best handled at the circuit court level in Florida as the petitioners have requested. The city's Planning and Zoning Appeals Board had previously voted to approve a certificate for the applicant's dispensary, and while the zoning director had sought to appeal that decision in 2021, the city commission ultimately rejected the appeal and cleared the way for the medical marijuana business. Still, while the ban ultimately ended, some still fault Suarez for not playing a proactive role to support the entrepreneurs who had struggled for years to open shop. Meanwhile, as a member of the Miami City Commission in 2017, Suarez was absent for a vote to give police discretion to issue civil citations for simple cannabis possession offenses, though he subsequently said that he supports the reform. Even so, police continue to make thousands of arrests, principally affecting young black men in the city, despite the policy change. While Suarez might not have been directly responsible for the enforcement actions as a city commissioner and later mayor, it does appear he publicly spoke up about the issue. The mayor's newly stated support for federal reform also seems to include an endorsement of efforts to free up banking services for the marijuana industry, as bipartisan congressional lawmakers are actively working to accomplish through a bill that's being held up amid disagreement over a key section. Meanwhile, it's not clear if Suarez will try to convince voters to support a statewide ballot measure to legalize cannabis next year. The state attorney general is asking the Florida Supreme Court to invalidate the initiative, which has received enough signatures to qualify. Um, I say, what the hey, I think this man is angling for some true leave money because I don't know what other support he's out there going to get. Uh, but we shall see. This is Gretchen for High at Nine News. Hypocrisy from a Republican <laughs> candidate. Shocking. Uh, I, I think we just found uh, <laughs> uh, the proxy for Jason Beck's uh, um, um, uh, support. You're silly. That's right. He is the Republican cannabis candidate. Mm-hmm. You guys, you guys are silly. You guys are silly. Uh, I mean, I mean, this is this is great rhetoric coming out of this coming out of this mayor. This is the first I've even heard of him even running for president. So that I find I find that even more Republican interesting. Are you? I'm, I'm just saying who's running for president because I, 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 I pay attention to the winners. I only pay attention to winners. Yeah, I only pay attention to winners. He's not down on the ground with chickens. Yeah, exactly. Just zero percent to everyone who could take out that orange Cheeto freak. Ain't no one taking out Trump. Just know that Trump's about to be your next president, Gretchen. From a jail cell, his yeah. skin's gonna match his clothes. We don't care if he's on house arrest at the White House or whatnot. At least we know he'll be there getting shit done. 
what the only thing I like about this is some guys actually out there talking. Somebody I think that's great. has a platform. I, I agree I with that. We need this kind of support. It'd be great if we saw that from some other Republicans. I totally yeah, agree with that. For some votes. He's just, you're right. I, I can't believe that a major candidate hasn't jumped on this and really take this home the way it should. Yeah, we're. Oh, and this, but this guy, a zero percenter. Oh, he's looking for some kind of controversy or some kind of, you know, hey, look at my platform. I mean, I mean, I mean, I think I think it's 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 good talking points for to for them to begin the discussion. And at the same time, too, I don't see any of the Democratic Democratic nominees ha even mentioning this topic at all whatsoever. Just saying. You the Democrats the have been so safe and sane. Kamala and Biden have been terrible when it comes to cannabis and their history showed they would be. Mm -hmm. There's there's an opportunity here with this issue. And when you're trolling at zero percent, you know it's either this or you only can go up all naked to try to get some attention for you. So I ain't right. mad at this guy for trying to get the, some. The the Biden administration is a complete threat to our existence, really, and and it's a it's sad to say that like we I don't even know where this is gonna go. But I mean he's a he's a prosecutor. The guy's gonna prosecute. The guy's gonna go after people. He's trying to go after all kinds of people, really. Trying to go after Elon Musk. He's trying to like look into all these, you know, people that wield certain powers that are uh, out of the government's control. And so cannabis is that too. I mean, you see all of the revenues that, um, you know, we're, we're generating here. It's like, they need to hurry up and the, put the guy in power that knows what to do with this industry, because this is the next, you know, biggest American industry um, next to, next to all of the historical ones. So Please, somebody help the cannabis industry. Please. Oh, yeah. Well, and I hate to say this, but probably the best hope for cannabis on the Republican side is Trump. That's right. Oh, man. Hey, uh, Adam, make sure you get that sound bite. Make sure you get that soundbite right there. You uh -huh, want it, but uh -huh. he's the least scrupulous right. of all these folks. So right. I think he Trump won't stand by anything that he said, so he will jump on board right. with it. Right. You, you can always trust. Uh -huh. You can always trust someone that trusts in money. Uh -huh. That's right. I mean, That's if you right. look at who we got, DeSantis, who you think loves pot. No, I don't know where you're coming up with that. I never right. said that. I never said that. Yeah. I never Pence, said that. Not a fan. No, Nikki fan. Haley, no, not, not a fan. Happening. Woman's nope. not going to be the nominee, frankly. No, nope. Christy, prosecutor, not happening. Not a chance. Tim Scott here's a, doesn't here's like a it question. Nobody here's a question. likes it. What about RFK? Dude, that guy's a whacked out. He's the Democratic lens back, bro. Like, he lost his shit, okay? The best thing about that guy is his wife, who happens to be an amazingly talented comedian who has to, like, walk away, distance herself publicly from her husband. Can you imagine her having to get in bed and do the dirty with that guy and hope that he doesn't talk about his newest far-flung idea? Like, that guy is just painful. He makes nails on chocolate sound like a beautiful opera. I oh, man. So, Yaro, so, Yaro, no RFK 2024. Uh, you know, we, we, we of a family full of rapists and bootleggers, oh, okay? Man. We got to go to a commercial. We got to go to a commercial. We're going to be back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And... With the tower propelling at 2,600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. 
Oh, yeah. Stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already subscribed to our channel. And make sure you head over to our website, too. Check it out. You can read all of our amazing articles that we cover every day on top of signing up for our newsletter. And, of course, make sure you share this episode. Tell your friends about it because organic growth is the best growth. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. You turned your air conditioner back on, huh, Todd? Dad? How many BTUs is that thing kicking mm-hmm. out? Man? It's hot there in Vegas. Only an indoor grower talks in BTUs, okay? The rest of the world's like, what? <laughs> yeah, no one likes outdoor weed anyway, Yarrow. So, yeah. uh, the golden voice. I actually prefer indoor weed. And I'm sorry to all my sun-grown hippie mama earth sativa divas who want to throw daggers at me, but I, I enjoy me some indoor. Yara, Yara, we got to keep it moving, bro. We're really behind the schedule right now. Uh, is, uh, up next, Golden Voice, Las Vegas-based dope granddaddy is the f- co-founder of the Smuggleverse, and president and founder of Digipath Labs. Come to the stage. It is the man, Todd Denkin. You. Yeah. Thank you, Rico. Um, yeah, I have some local news uh, stuff happening right here in Nevada. Uh, Nevada cannabis operators and other stakeholders lobbied for structural changes to the state's adult use and medical marijuana programs. Legislature answered by approving several industry-friendly bills during its most recent session. Industry back changes signed into law by Governor Joe Lombardo included Eliminating capping various fees, reassessing penalties for operating violations, creating a dual license for retailers serving both medical patients and recreational consumers. Policy overhauls, which garnered bipartisan support in Nevada's Democrat-controlled legislature, saved some operators tens of thousands of dollars per year in business expenses while significantly expanding retail access, according to industry insiders. Aunt Rutledge, who I know very well, is a partner at Argentum Partners, a government affairs and marketing firm based in Reno, said that as the legal cannabis industry continues to evolve and look for ways to better serve consumers with safe and affordable products, grateful that our legislatures and Governor Lombardo responded with the of supportive legislation. Developments come as Nevada Post cannabis sales well below the peak seen in 2021, Industry executives prepare for the highly anticipated rollout of consumption lounges uh, coming soon this year, uh, primarily in Las Vegas. Senate Bill 195, the legislature granted cannabis operators reprieve from excessive fees, penalties, and compliance costs. Uh, Some key parts of the bill says that uh, they eliminated regulatory practice of stacking charges for or violations, meaning that uh, the new law they break more than one violation or a single violation multiple times, they only get charged for the one. And eliminating the regulatory practice of time and effort billing, 
which I have a sordid story about, in which licensees were charged high hourly rates the state's Cannabis Control Board for routine audits, inspections, and investigations. I'd say that mine cost $65,000. No joke. Uh, lowering the maximum penalty for any single business violation from 90000 to only $20,000. Um, under the prior system, stacking violations could lead to outrageous fines, according to Lake Martin, executive director of the Nevada, the Nevada Cannabis Association. One example she cited, the state fined a dispensary $40,000 following a complaint about lock of paper towels in the bathroom. <laughs> said if you look at some of the complaints in Nevada, you will see that they were most often in the six figures. Many of the times they were for administrative violations. Under SB 195, the CCB also prohibited from invoicing cannabis businesses applicants for so-called time and effort charges for normal business interactions with regulators, including document reviews and compliance inquiries. In Nevada, ready for this, the rate was set at $111 per hour per person. So if three regulators come to your facility, that's $333 an hour for as long as they're there. But it not for as long as they're there, but from the time they left their office and drove there is when the, uh, the clock used to start. Last year, Nevada cannabis operators paid $1.7 million in time and effort charges and said new law mandates that regulators only bill operators for costs and charges authorized by state statute. Opponents criticized the prior policy for essentially double charging marijuana businesses it's the CCB's annual budget of $10 million is entirely funded through cannabis excise taxes. And said that we saw a 500% increase in time and effort billing the industry over the past few years. We have one licensee in our membership who was billed $47,000 over the course of the year. I was billed $65,000, but I'm not a member. They won't have labs in their organization. Uh, the goal of these uh, changes is to alleviate uh, some of the economic burden on operators and incentivize compliance cooperation, according to Melissa Waite, Las Vegas attorney with the law firm Dickinson Wright. Those operators hope SB 195, coupled with their other changes during the session, will provide more certainty of fairness in disciplinary processes. Bill 277 not only uh, provides new benefits for consumers, retailers, and the state supply chain, it reduces maximum fees for nearly every marijuana license as outlined in legislation sent to the governor for his signature. Last minute amendments to increase some of those maximums were met fierce industry resistance and industry insiders. Result was that fees for initial licensing and renewal of adult use cannabis license were reduced except for the initial issuance of an adult-use retail license, which remains unchanged at $20,000. bill includes many other changes that undoubtedly benefit the industry. Other stipulations of the omnibus bill include the creation of a dual license for medical and recreational retailers, allowing them to serve any type of customer. This is just common sense. Uh, increasing the purchasing limit of flour from one ounce to two and a half ounces, Increasing the purchasing limits of cannabis concentrates from an eighth to an ounce to a quarter of an ounce. And uh, about one-third of Nevada's 100 cannabis retailers will benefit from the dual license designation, allowing them to serve both adult use and medical consumers. It was on June 30th that uh, everyone had to renew their licenses. So this law takes effect after, of course, June 30th. So 
we all had to pay double uh, this time around. State had roughly 12,500 medical marijuana cardholders at the end of May, according to the latest figures from the state's Department of Health and Human Services. More than 100 cultivators, processors, and distributors will also benefit from the expanded market, according to the CCB. The bundle of approved cannabis-related legislation also included, uh, which we're all very excited about, establishing a working group to study psychedelics, creating an employment path in the industry for former convicts, and revising the excise tax on wholesale cannabis to 15% of the actual sales price, rather than how it used to be and how it is right now, 15% of fair market value, which is set by the Nevada Department of Taxation. Fair market value often inflated the actual cost of goods sold, industry representatives said. CB Director, Executive, uh, Executive Director Tyler Clemis credited lawmakers for taking an aggressive approach to mitigate some of the industry's biggest pain points and acknowledging that many states have yet to do. This is a recognition that the cannabis industry is a significant player in the state's economy, is what he told MJ Biz Daily, and we are evolving appropriately. Proliferation of bills also is partly a consequence of state lawmakers convening every other year to pass legislation as well as the industry coalescing to address specific changes. Um, Martin said, I think everyone has expectations and is comfortable with the idea that every two years, we're going to come back and tweak things as the industry evolves. Nevada trying to make it better for the consumer and for the operator. Todd Denkin with Hyatt 9 News. So, so, So they're touting these as big wins, huh? I know it's it's so ridiculous the stuff that they focus on. I, you buy more weed that yeah. solves the problems, right? I mean, I think the best thing here is that they are charging tax on actual sales instead of tax on fair market value. And if you were, if they decide that the fair market value was twenty three hundred dollars for a pound, sell yours for fifteen hundred, you still pay taxes on twenty three hundred dollars. Yeah, eleven thousand a pound in uh, New York. Yeah, it's I, just stupid. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Todd. I still believe that 15% excise tax is, is way, way, way too, too high. It's, it's way too it's, much, it's, but at, it's, least, it's at least it's not fluctuating. Oh, it's, yeah. you know, you guess it every month. You know, at least it is for what you're selling. I, f- I mean, that's, that's good for when you get audited. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Anyway. Big wins. You can buy more weed and you don't have to pay as many taxes as an operator. And licensing charges any 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 thoughts on this before we move on because we are we are way behind time right now all right seeing seeing none thank you so much for that story Todd. we're going to go right to our next commercial we're going to be right back Hyatt nine news invites you to join us and become a sponsor supporter and attendee for the second annual envision gala for this is jane project a nonprofit organization leading the way in advocating for trauma-informed care this is jane project offers a range of programs designed to shed light build community and uplift the lives of women and non-binary trauma survivors who use cannabis as medicine support this event that is sure to make an impact today for more information about sponsorship opportunities, visit www.thisisjaneproject.org. Oh, yes. Coming up next, he's a plant formulation expert, a cannabis designer, as well as it's his son's very first birthday today. Oh, yeah. It is Mr. Saman Rizani. 
you, thank you, thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good afternoon to all of our watchers and listeners on the East Coast. I've got an interesting story today. Two of the big dogs are hashing it out in court over an employee. Cannabis conflict in Chicago. Cresco Labs sues Green Thumb Industries. The company filed a lawsuit accusing former employee of violating a non-compete clause when he was hired by Green Thumb Industries. <clears throat> CBT staff. Two of the largest cannabis multi-state operators in the U.S. are locking horns in a legal battle over a top-level employee who recently re-signed from one company and then was hired by the other. Cresco Labs filed a lawsuit July 19th in the Circuit Court of Cook County, the largest of 24 judicial circuits in Illinois, accusing Green Thumb Industries of stealing a high-level employee whom the plaintiff maintains is a, in violation of a non-compete clause, the, Sun, uh, the Chicago Sun-Times reported. Cresco Labs, founded in 2013, and Green Thumb, established in 2014, are both headquartered in Chicago and have been two of the biggest vertically integrated players in Illinois since the state-issued medical cannabis licenses in 2014, followed by the adult-use uh, adult legalization in 2019. Cresco's Sunnyside retail brand accounts for 10 dispensaries in the state, while Green Thumb has 11 retail locations in Illinois and operates under the Rise dispensary name. The legal dispute names Christopher Tong, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, a chemist and former director of technical services at Cresco Labs, who resigned his position with the company in May and then took a similar role at Green Thumb, the Sun-Times reported. Cresco notes that the lawsuit that Tong was uh, co-invent, <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. Cresco notes in a lawsuit that Tong co-invented a unique process to extract cannabis oils and the company that the company applied for two patents related to that process. The lawsuit also states that Matt Ingram, Green Thumb's senior vice president of operations, who previously worked for Cresco Labs, recruited Tong dis uh, despite being familiar with Cresco's contractual non-compete provision, barring certain employees from joining rival companies for 12 months following res resignation, <clears throat> the Sun-Times reported. A Green Thumb spokeswoman denied the allegations in a statement to the news outlet. Instead of investing... Instead of investing to retain current employees or support former employees through their transition following a recent sizable layoff, Cresco is spending money on lawyers to monitor and sue its former employees for finding new jobs, the spokeswoman said. This move is not only distasteful to the former employees looking to continue their careers in the cannabis industry, but also a total waste of Cresco's capital and resources. Well, this story is very interesting. I did a little digging into this, and um, you know, in 2002, they signed in, in Illinois. They signed a a new bill that was um, essentially it was a Illinois Freedom to Work Act, and it prohibits non-compete agreements between employers and employees. But the stipulation is only if that employee makes under 75k a year. So if they pay you over 75k they can bar you from going and working for their competitors but we'll see how this all plays out um if you do a little more research you know that's that's kind of you know what's happening in, in illinois so this happens a lot in our industry um i'm no i'm no uh stranger to, to this as well so i want i wonder what everybody else thinks but um you know do you think that do you think cresco is going to win this case do you think they're going to be able to to kind of overshadow the fact that they've laid off a lot of their employees in that state and uh, people need to work and eat and feed their families. What do you all say? I think you got to um, um, being uh, I worked in the financial industry in Illinois and it was a big, big deal uh, during um, um, the financial downturn back in uh, back in 08. 
because uh, a lot of guys were getting laid off just like this and going to other firms. So it, it all depends. Illinois is really, really big on those non-competes, um, something that we enjoy the luxury of not having to worry about out here in California. So it depends on the contract that they signed and what the uh, stipulations are in that contract um, as to what they can and cannot do once they uh, leave one company and go to the other. Yeah, but what does that say about the high level, you know, people in, in this industry? I mean, there's, I mean, I understand that, you know, at, at a, a company, for, uh, yeah, I work for a California based company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, try not to pay taxes in California. Be careful. Go to Florida. Be careful what's in your do not compete clause. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I find this very, very interesting. I, I, I'm just going to enjoy my popcorn while I watch this case uh, play itself out personally. It was only a matter of time till this, till this shit started happening. Uh, because um, uh, with the corporatization of the industry mm -hmm. uh, and, and everything being so secretive in our industry overall, like it was going to happen. You can have some high level execs uh, jumping ship from one company to another. And um, there's a lot of trade secrets. Pre-federal. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I like to think that, um, you know, the novelty of what people do is, you know, part of their creativity. It's kind of like a, an artist kind of thing. But I, I think with with this, it was a process um, that he'd helped develop for Cresco, um, which I'm not, you know, I'm not too, I need to like do a little more digging. I'm not really aware, um, you know, but let's let's see how it all plays out. Like Jason, I think we're going to share a big, big, uh, mm -hmm. the, the big bowl of popcorn, bro. Yeah, big, big old buttery bat of popcorn. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do like I, I am enjoying, though, watching two big MSOs go at it and then they're just wasting their money on legal bills among fighting each other. So I, I am enjoying this. So you're saying they do have money somewhere. <laughs> well, we know we know Cresco does because Wrigley's Wrigley's got bread. Everyone keeps on buying double and gum every time I'm at the liquor store. Shout out to Skittles. So <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Keep it moving here because we are short on time. I'm bringing this home once again. It's second generation cultivator, founder of Special Teams Consulting, focusing on cannabis, real estate, and cannabis real estate. Yara! Good morning. Good morning. I am nine news listeners. Uh, my article today is uh, the Florida Supreme Court gives Attorney General more time to argue why marijuana legalization should be blocked from the 2024 ballot. The Florida Supreme Court on Monday granted the state attorney general's request for more time to file a brief arguing why voters should not get a chance to decide on a marijuana legalization initiative on the 2024 ballot. On the same day that Attorney General Ashley Moody, whose office is seeking to invalidate the cannabis measure, filed a motion seeking a one-week extension, the court agreed to the delay. The attorney general, as well as the Florida Chamber of Commerce and a Drug-Free America Foundation told the court that they had numerous other responsibilities during the relevant period. The officials also previously requested a two-week deadline extension for initial briefs that the court granted. Moody's latest request noted that her office is tied up with fundamental administrative tasks, as well as filing briefs in two other unrelated court cases. Also pointed out that the court allowed ACLU of Florida to file its own brief two days after the last response deadline for supporters of the legalization measure. 
As a result, the current deadline gives the opponents just three business days to respond to the arguments in that brief, the motion said. Overall, Moody is arguing that the way the initiative's ballot summary is written is affirmatively misleading to voters on several grounds, which she says is grounds to invalidate the proposal. The Attorney General's office said they discussed the deadline extension request with the Smart and Safe Florida campaign, which opposed a one-week extension but would accept a shorter two-day delay. Instead, the court granted the full request, making the deadline for a reply brief August 2nd. Multiple extensions of time filing are discouraged, the court said Monday, absent extenuating circumstances, subsequent requests may be denied. State officials have already affirmed that the campaign collected enough valid signatures to secure ballot placement. Despite the Attorney General's opinion, activists say they're thoroughly vetted the measure and are confident the court will agree that it complies with constitutional requirements. Moody made the same argument against the 2022 legalization measure, and the Supreme Court subsequently invalidated it. In order to get the, the get on the ballot, the initiative must have valid signatures from registered voters totaling at least 8% of the district-wide vote in the most recent presidential election and at least 14 of the state's 28 congressional districts. In addition to the statewide number needed, the marijuana campaign has met the threshold in exactly 14 districts, according to a recently updated state data. The marijuana company True Leaf has contributed more than $39 million to the Smart and Safe Florida campaign to date. If approved, the measure would change the state constitution to allow existing medical cannabis companies, <clears throat> such as True Leaf, that's what it says, to begin selling marijuana to all adults over 21. It contains a provision that would allow but not require lawmakers to take steps towards the approval of additional businesses. Home cultivation by consumers would not be allowed under the proposal as drafted. Adults 21 and older would be able to purchase and possess up to one ounce of cannabis, only five grams of which could be marijuana concentrate products. The three-page measure also omits equity provisions favored by advocates such as expungement or other relief for people with prior cannabis convictions. Separately, economic analysts from the Florida Legislature, Legislature and the Office of Government, Governor Ron DeSantis, estimated that the Marijuana Legalization Initiative would generate between $195 to $431 million in new sales tax revenue annually if voters enact it. And those figures could increase considerably if lawmakers opted to impose an additional excise tax on cannabis transactions that's similar to the ones in place in other legalized states. Poll published in March found 70% of Florida voters supported legalizing marijuana. Florida voters approved the medical cannabis constitutional amendment in 2016. Oh, boy. So I think anything that bans home grows is... Uh, <laughs> Not consistent with my core values. I think TrueLeave has done a fantastic job of scaling a company while avoiding criminal liability, except for the husband that took the fall. And I think that anything that interferes with someone's right to put a plant in their backyard and enjoy it once it's harvested uh, is not fair. So, sounds very anti-Florida, if you ask me. <laughs> I don't very anti-Florida ethos. Yeah. Anything goes in Florida. Anytime you try to stop the will of the voter, that's uh, an interesting form of democracy. Well, especially in a state that, you know, really touts individual liberties, um, you know, as sovereign individuals. So it's got to be a single it's got to be a single subject. It's got to be a single subject, individual liberty in order to get on the ballot. Florida was a, a, a way ahead of their time uh, before we had Delta aid, uh, the THCA or any of that. They made spice. Did you have something you wanted to say on this, Gretchen? You're on. You're on mute. Wrap it up. 
Thank you all for joining us for another episode of High at Nine News. You can catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the super fans showing love and getting their comments up live on the big screen. Live audience members and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in for the conversations on these daily headlines. Uh, to our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table. Our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, Vortex, all of our sponsors keeping the lights on and our AV struggles to a minimum. And of course, this is lovely Jaja Simone out there holding us down on all the other platforms, making sure that we can do a little QC across the board. And always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason we show up to read these headlines every single day. Thank you. It is July 25th, 2023. Talk about it Tuesday. The show's over. You've been all been blessed with the top industry headlines. Hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. Gretchen Gilly. Is she still on? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the outro got for us today. I don't know. Vote for people who actually will do what we want. Not Donald Trump, though. Next. DT for the win. 